This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. So today we are going to take a very short break away from sciatica and talk about a commonly diagnosed and mismanaged condition called carpal tunnel syndrome. And you may have heard this, come across it on Google. If you're an office worker, you might have experienced some issues and your doctor has reported, okay, you're dealing with some carpal tunnel issues. And then you go to a physical therapist or a chiropractor and they work on your wrist and hand uh, with little to no effect and it's still bothering you. In some cases, people actually get carpal tunnel release surgery to allow that nerve to run a little bit more freely. And the outcomes are either really, really great or they don't get fixed at all, which then tells us what is happening with our nerves that's causing sensation like this. And so today we're going to talk about carpal tunnel syndrome and actually how to manage it because just like sciatica, it can actually be uh, caused by ir irritation at the spine, but ultimately carpal tunnel syndrome is going to be a description of a symptom distribution, aka where the pain or sensations are. Um, and the concept of syndrome means that there's an issue, but they aren't really quite sure as to why this has become problematic. And so the way that we're going to be breaking this down is actually identifying what carpal tunnel syndrome is, what the definition is. We'll actually talk about the anatomy of the carpal tunnel, what it's composed of, and then also some commonly used uh, diagnostic tools, but also some commonly used uh, interventions that, um, that can be helpful, but then also how I believe should be approached and how I would approach a condition like carpal tunnel. So for starters, let's talk about carpal tunnel itself. Uh, the carpal tunnel is an anatomical landmark in the hand slash wrist. It is a tunnel that is formed by your carpal bones, the, the ones that are closest to your forearm, and it's covered by a piece of connective tissue, which would actually create the tunnel itself. And the carpal tunnel houses uh, a few of these uh, muscular tendons that actually attach from your forearm and go all the way down through your hand and is responsible for hand function, flexing your fingers specifically. Because if we're looking at the carpal tunnel, and if you're watching this on video, it's actually going to be on the palmar aspect of your wrist. And if you feel your form, there's going to be a little divot right here. And that little divot underneath is going to be a piece of connective tissue. And then a whole bunch of tendons that are going to be responsible for moving your hands. And so what carpal tunnel syndrome is, is an irritation or a narrowing or some sort of issue happening in this area. And it would often present itself as wrist pain, tingling in the hand, pain burning um, in the hand itself. So you may have come across this throughout your life. 
and you go to the doctor and they're like, okay, my hand is burning. And their first thing that they're probably going to say is, okay, you're dealing with carpal tunnel, go ahead and go into physical therapy. But we have to figure out why is this being irritated in the first place. And oftentimes when we're looking at irritation in the carpal tunnel, we're looking at irritation of a set of nerves, specifically the median nerve. The median nerve actually begins from your neck, travels down your arm, and then actually goes into the carpal tunnel. And that's where it's going to be supplying motor and sensation to the hand. So the median nerve is somewhat similar to the sciatic nerve in the regards to it actually starts up at the spine and then travels a long way down to the tips of your extremity. So the sciatic nerve, again, you've been listening to this because you've been having some sciatic nerve issues, but the same deal when it comes to the median nerve, we're looking at median nerve irritation. And so what is that median nerve? Let's talk a little bit more about the anatomy. So then that way we can get a better understanding on what it is and how it actually presents itself. And so the median nerve actually begins from C6, the sixth cervical vertebrae, and actually descends all the way down to T1, the first thoracic vertebrae. And what that means is in between these bones, there are these openings called foramen, uh, which may or may not sound familiar when we're talking about lumbar foramen, where the nerve exits the spinal column. And so we're looking at C6, C7, C8, and T1. And in some cases, there are going to be people who are have the nerve root of C5. And what this median nerve does, it actually extends all the way down your arm. And interestingly enough, it doesn't provide sensation or function to the biceps or the triceps. That's a different set of nerves right there. But it will actually run on the inner edge of your arm lateral to the brachial artery, which is a very, very common artery, a major artery in the upper arm. And from there, it will actually... Um, once it uh, exits your neck, exits the what is called the brachial plexus, it actually crosses into your armpit and then runs down your arm or your humerus bone um, lateral to the brachial artery and then gets uh, and actually changes direction um, in what we call the cubital fossa, aka your elbow pit. Once that happens, it's actually going to be running down the uh, lateral or the outside aspect of your form, which is going to be focusing specifically on some flexors of the wrist as well as flexors of the hand. So we're looking at lateral sensation. Um, if you're watching the video, I have a tattoo on the lateral aspect of my hand and lateral aspect of my wrist. And then it will move its way down into the wrist. And here's the interesting thing. I said before that the median nerve actually passes underneath the uh, carpal tunnel, but that is, uh, but we're going to go into a little bit more detail because the median nerve actually splits into two specific nerves that cross under the carpal tunnel, which gets affected. And then we also have the one that goes over. And so when it comes to the median nerve that crosses over the carpal tunnel, that isn't necessarily affected by carpal tunnel syndrome is going to be the sensation of your palm. In fact, your palm sensation happens outside of that carpal tunnel. So just to kind of give you a point of reference, um, what ends up happening is that that carpal tunnel houses a different part of the median nerve, which actually supplies sensation and motor control to your thumb, your index finger, as well as your middle finger, and as well as the back set lateral, um, uh, sorry, uh, as well as the, the first three um, portions of your hand. And so what that means is we have to get a better understanding on if you are diagnosed with carpal tunnel syndrome, 
where's your pain distribution? We can have an idea and be able to say, okay, well, if we're having pain in our palm, again, the median nerve that supplies the palm doesn't actually go into the carpal tunnel itself. So if you are having palm pain and you're being diagnosed with carpal tunnel, I'm not going to say that you're wrongfully diagnosed, but it gives us an opportunity to say, well, what other issues are we having here? And this may save, seem very, very familiar when it comes to trying to diagnose, uh, say, sciatica pain. Because oftentimes people think that the sciatic nerve actually causes pain in the butt. And interestingly enough, the butt is actually supplied by the gluteal nerves, which may be a subset of the same nerve roots that come out that form the sciatic nerve. But when you come, when it looks at the irritation of the sciatic nerve itself, you're looking at back of the thigh and everything below the knee. And the same thing, if you're experiencing pain or sensation issues on the front of your thigh, that is not irritation of the sciatic nerve. That is going to be the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, and that's going to be a different nerve distribution. So it is important that when you are experiencing the sensations and you are going to a provider, make sure that you're accurately describing where your pain is located. And when they tell you you have a specific diagnosis, you can actually cross-reference that nerve irritation with the pain that you're experiencing, be able to say, is this nerve actually being truly affected? Which means that if we go into the carpal tunnel itself, we're looking at mostly sensation and motor control that is happening across the first three digits of our hand, our thumb, our index, and our middle finger. And also we're looking at just general function. And when you have a really irritated carpal tunnel, you can experience weakness in the what we call the phenar aspect, which is going to be the thumb part of, uh, of our hand. And things to consider um, when we are trying to manage this carpal tunnel, because if we're looking at treating carpal tunnel pain at the location of the commonly uh, diagnosed irritated area would be specifically at the level of your wrist. Now, carpal tunnel itself was often um, was often diagnosed for people who were um, office workers because they're using a mouse, they're putting a fair amount of pressure on the bottom portion of their wrist, which would then actually cause numb numbness and tingling and also some pain. Um, but also, um, in addition to that, we're looking at folks who end up doing a lot of forced wrist flexion because that also too impinges on the carpal tunnel itself. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. And if that's the case, if the carpal tunnel itself is truly irritated, and we can actually confirm that through two uh, specific tests, um, the Phelan's test, as well as the Tenel's test. The Tenel's test is actually where we're going to be taking uh, your index finger, or you can even take a reflex hammer and tap it on this little uh, spot right here where the carpal tunnel actually runs. And if you tap it and actually reproduces the same type of pain that you are experiencing, the same type of sensations, then yes, that we're having some sort of irritation happening at the carpal tunnel. Another area is what we call the Phelan's test, where we're going to be focusing on applying a forced 
flex, uh, force flexion on the wrist, which would again compress that carpal tunnel, which would allow if in the event that the median nerve at that level is actually irritated, it will actually reproduce those symptoms. So if you have a true irritation of the carpal tunnel, we know that the, the irritation is because of a narrowing or an increase in stress. So what that means is if that's the scenario, the solution to that is actually opening up the space of the carpal tunnel. And how do we do that? We do that by stretching and opening up the wrist. Now, if we know that flexing the wrist is actually causing a lot of issues, it's closing down on the space, we should be focusing specifically on opening up the space, which is going to be called a wrist extension. A way that you do it is as if you were trying to show someone your palm as if they were standing in front of you. Uh, another way to think about it, I'm a huge uh, Marvel movie fan and Iron Man is actually my favorite character. And if you were imagine Tony Stark, Iron Man is trying to shoot one of his blasters. He puts his palm up and has his palm facing him. And this is going to be wrist extension. And again, that's going to be opening things up. So you'll see in the clinic where they're going to be giving you this kind of like wrist opener, which would allow you to free up that carpal tunnel itself. They're also probably going to give you some wrist extension exercises, which is going to be kind of like they have the TheraBand twister. You're going to be rolling things up, really focusing on forearm extension, aka wrist extension. And they'll probably do in some sort of elbow strengthening, biceps and triceps, and just getting that shoulder generally strong. And then we're also looking at specifically um, activity modification. And so if you are a desk worker and the majority of your hours are spent operating a mouse, one thing that you can do is actually switching that mouse from one hand, the hand that's actually creating the pain and switching it on over to the other side. And like I said in previous episodes, it's not like you have to stay like that for forever, but we're looking at trying to change things up, giving the area of injury an opportunity to actually recover. And so um, from there, you're going to see uh, we have uh, minimizing those opportunities where we're actually adding that flex position, causing a lot of irritation. Um, another area uh, of making it so that uh, we minimize the closing of, uh, of your wrist is going to be really just opening up your chest. Anything that's going to be bringing everything close, you're looking at actually possibly some carpal tunnel that could be at the level of the wrist due to high use of cell phones. Oftentimes our cell phones are getting a little bit bigger and you're going to start. Um, and I know for me, the moment that I got a smartphone, my thumbs and my hands were starting to get really, really sore because I was actually operating one hand or using one hand to operate the phone. I was actually able to achieve um, no pain and made my body feel a lot better by being able to actually switch to a two hand way to operate the phone, which means that you're going to have one hand holding the phone and the other index finger, which is going to be operating, pressing various different buttons. That's going to be given your, um, your, your, your carpal tunnel, uh, a lot more relief. Now you've gone through physical therapy, chiropractic care, rehabilitation, and you've gone through pretty much the entire gamut of strengthening your wrists and your elbow, but you're not, you're still not experiencing any sort of relief. Are you a candidate for surgery? That's a really great question. And uh, I hope to actually um, interview a hand surgeon further down the line, especially when it comes to this. But I think what's really important is being able to understand that the median nerve, which is the nerve that actually gets irritated in the carpal tunnel, because it's such a long nerve, there are many areas in which this nerve can get irritated and produce pain further down the chain. And so 
what I would say is that once you've exhausted all those wrist activities, you should be moving up the chain. Look at your shoulder, look at your neck, look at your elbow. And that gives you the opportunity to be able to say, what are the other things that I'm missing? When I work with clients who have carpal tunnel issues or pain in their hand and their shoulder, I actually like to start um, at the neck first because the neck, neck and shoulder will often influence how the hand functions. And I learned this early on in my career and I found it to be quite effective. And a lot of my patients, when I first started working with them, they would come in and say, I have carpal tunnel issues, my hand hurts. And the first thing that I would actually look at would be their neck and actually work on their neck. And This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Before they got out, they were actually experiencing no pain in their hands, and they were so confused. But after explaining that the median nerve, which that gets irritated, especially as it travels down the arm, actually starts from the neck, it then starts to make sense. And so this is how we are going to be addressing how the median nerve can get affected. Now, just like this uh, lower back and sciatica pain, we're looking at a couple specific structures that could be irritating this nerve itself. And so we have our spinal discs, but we also have the bony areas of our body. And so when I'm looking at the neck, what I'll do is just like sciatica, I'll actually say, okay, well, what activities actually make your pain feel better and what activities make your pain feel worse? And as I said in the previous, we follow a very simple theme of focusing on the activities that make you feel better, do more of them. The activities that make you worse, do less of them where we got to modify it. And then number three, we got to establish a plan to get you back into living your life. And so with um, sciatica pain, you know, we've been applying it for the past 80 plus episodes for carpal tunnel. It's the same scenario, but we look at the upper quarter or the neck, um, shoulder, elbow, wrist, and hand, and it gives us a little bit more information. And so um, using that information, if you notice that if you are standing up or you're looking up towards the sky um, and your pain actually feels a little bit better, that is a good indicator that what you're experiencing is actually related to your neck. Same thing if you look down at the floor and your pain improves. That's another scenario. Any movements where your neck is moving and it influences how your pain is, how your pain is in your hand, that is a telltale sign that you should be able to address this pain by movements of the cervical spine, aka the neck. And so my off my go-to would be looking at the neck. Couple motions I would be looking at would be: Can you get your chin to your chest? How does that make you feel? If that makes your pain feel better, the exercise that you're going to do is chin to your chest. If looking straight up actually relieves you of your pain, that's going to be your specific exercise. One of the common exercises that you'll probably see when it comes to people who have neck issues is what we call the chin tuck. The medical term is called cervical retraction. And what that is, is this, you're pretty much simply put, you're making a double chin. And what that double chin does, it actually flattens out your spine and it does two things. The top half of your neck, it actually gets into what we call cervical flexion. It's going to be opening up the uh, areas in which your nerves do exit the spine. 
And say, for example, if there's a pinch in your neck, that chin tuck may actually open up the spine, open up the opportunity for those nerves to pass through and minimize the nerve irritation. And that, again, that's often the, the upper cervical, which means C1, C2, and C3, and possibly even C4. When you do your chin tuck, we're also experiencing lower cervical retraction, uh, sorry, lower cervical extension. So we're looking at four, five, six, and seven. And oftentimes, if you look at people, they're going to have like this forward hump as they're walking or as they're sitting. So when you do your chin tuck, you're looking at flattening out the spine and we're actually looking at extension. In some cases, we'll be opening up the foramen a little bit more. But what's really interesting for folks who are battling with herniated discs in their neck Cervical retraction is actually going to be helpful when it comes to reducing the turnations in the neck itself. So we have lumbar extension or back extensions, which could be helpful for disc herniations in the back. We have cervical retraction, which could be very, very helpful when it comes to uh, disc herniations in the neck. The other motions that we'd be looking at would be side to side bending. When we're side to side bending, we're really more so influ we're influencing two things. Again, we're influencing the disc structure, but we're also influencing the bony structure. Now, if you are going to be leaning away from the side of paint, and that actually is helpful, we're looking at actually opening up the vertebral foramen, which is going to be necessary for those nerves to be exiting your neck without any sort of irritation. So if leaning away from the side of pain actually reduces your symptoms, that is an opportunity for you to say, okay, let me do more of that. What are the activities that I'm doing that's causing the symptom side to be hiking up and closing down on that specific vertebrae? If you lean towards the side of pain and that actually alleviates your pain, alleviates that irritation, we're looking at most likely an irritated disc. It could be a bulge. It could be a little bit more. I said in previous posts uh, or podcasts that MRIs are great at diagnosing cancers and fractures, but they aren't the greatest when it comes to identifying the source of pain, whether it be a disc or some sort of bony arthritis. But if you are leaning to the side of pain and that's actually causing you to experience a relief in pain, then that means that you should be doing that a little bit more instead. And when we're looking at side to side bending, we're actually influencing the majority of the lower cervical spine, which, as I said before, we're looking at C6, C7, and C8 as the cervical ver um, cervical levels, and that is where we're going to be able to truly influence that. Another movement uh, that people would look at would be rotation. And rotation, you're actually having the majority of your, your rotation of your neck at the upper cervical spine, um, pretty much your uh, atlas um, on your axis is going to be doing the majority of the rotation at least 45 degrees. And so if you are rotating and that has an impact on your pain, then that will actually tell you, should you be adding this into your plan? Um, all of these neck exercises, aside from looking all the way down, um, I often pair them with a chin tuck, that cervical retraction, and then you go into that motion because it gives us an opportunity to strengthen the front portion of our neck, stretch out the backside of our neck, and actually allow us to get a little bit more in line. And I wouldn't be surprised that you would actually get a little bit taller because when you tuck your chin, your spine gets a little bit flatter and you stand up a little bit taller. Now, um, I usually, when I'm working with clients, I usually spend about uh, one to two sessions making sure that we have cleared the neck. So if we are doing something and uh, the stretch involves the neck and actually influences the pain, we're going to run with that until working on the neck is no longer effective or stops being effective, which means that once we reach that point, it's time to move on to the next stage, which is going to be the shoulder. 
when it comes to the nerves exiting out of your spine, when it comes to sciatic, the sciatic nerve itself, it exits your spine and actually passes underneath your glutes, underneath your butt. For the neck, it exits your spine and it actually goes through your armpit. But before it goes through your armpit, it actually has to go through your pec muscles. So you have two big muscles. You have your pec major, which is pretty much going to be from your sternum to the front portion of your shoulder. And you have your pec minor, which is going to be focusing on positioning of your shoulder blade. Depending on your anatomy, those structures, the nerves will actually either pierce through the pec minor or under. Um, it varies a little differently from person to person. But oftentimes, if you have a very, very tight set of pecs, and that often happens when you are fo uh, rounded forward, you're an office worker, um, for women who happen to be, say, a little bit more top heavy, the weight of the breast tissue actually pull those shoulders forward. So everything is going to be hunched forward and causes some impingement right here at the level of the shoulders. And uh, an example uh, of this, I was actually working with a patient uh, who actually had carpal tunnel in both of their hands. They said, Ashley, my fingers are going numb. My hands are going numb. They're feeling terrible. Um, it is so painful that I'm pretty, it makes me nauseous. And that nausea sensation is, uh, is a little concerning, but after clearing out medical red flags, which is very important before you do any sort of exercise, um, once we cleared that, we were able to say, okay, well, the neck doesn't really do much. We've been pushing and pulling on the neck. It hasn't really affected uh, the issue. Let's move down to the shoulders. And I was working around the chest area. And again, it doesn't, you don't have to work all the way down to say the nipple. We're looking closer to the shoulder. And I was pushing around. And my patient was saying, wow, Ashley, that just feels really, really tight. It feels like you're pressing on a rock. And when you're massaging a very tight muscle, you don't have to be extremely aggressive you just want to be able to cause that make that muscle relax and so applying a little bit of pressure causing that muscle to relax we were able to relieve that tension on the nerves itself literally in the span of 10 to 15 minutes of just pressing i could actually see the relief on the patient's face as well as them describing to me that this is actually relieving of my pain so when it comes to looking at the shoulder being able to see what motions will actually influence how that nerve will actually behave and how it actually plays out and what it feels like. Um, so we're looking at the shoulder, seeing uh, with the shoulder, you have a bunch of motions. You have flexion, which is reaching your hand up to the ceiling. We have abduction, which is reaching your hand out to the side like a jumping jack. We have external rotation, which is kind of like getting ready to throw a baseball. And then we have internal rotation, which is going your hand behind your back. And those motions themselves will be influenced by a whole bunch of other muscles, which would be outside the scope of this podcast. But it is important that if you have exhausted all opportunities at the neck, that's when you move down the chain to address the shoulder. From there, say, for example, you've done the neck, you've done the shoulder. Man, you know, this, this is still not going away. Okay, let's move down into the elbow. The elbow itself right here. It bends, it straightens, it also rotates as well as what we call pronation, subination. The median nerve actually passes through that cubital fossa and actually supplies the nerve. So being able to see what's happening at the elbow, is it getting my elbow straight? Do I have to get my elbow straight a little bit more? Or do I need to bend my elbow a bit more? Again, your body will tell you the exact things that you need to do to recover. So if bending your elbow actually relieves you of your pain, you got to do more of it. And same thing with straightening out that elbow. We have to look at what are your daily activities that is being a contributing factor to the experience that you're going through and then work from there. Once 
we move from that elbow and you're like, okay, I've, I've exhausted everything at the elbow. I'm pushing, pulling all these various different muscles. We then, then actually move down to the hand. Okay. All right. Yes. There may be actual true irritation at the carpal tunnel. What do we need to do to relieve it? Again, number one, we got to relieve the pressure. How do we do that? We need to make sure that we're not putting a ton of weight on our wrist to make sure that that carpal tunnel has freedom to move and allow the tendons and everything to be gliding and moving. Um, also, in addition to that, we have a wrist extension stretch, which actually allows us to open up that, um, that, that tunnel itself. Um, I often get asked, and I see this a lot when people are also even experiencing sciatica pain, a big question that people often ask is like, well, what are my thoughts on nerve flossing? I've seen a lot of different programs out there, um, and a lot of the programs that are out there are fantastic. One of the big things that I see in a lot of, uh, we'll say, um, run-of-the-mill sciatica treatment programs is this concept of nerve flossing. And nerve flossing is great. What ends up doing, I actually have an episode talking about nerve flossing, but in essence, nerve flossing, you're either moving the nerve within the tissues or you're stretching it out. Most of the nerve flossing activities that I've seen is often stretching the nerve tissues. And oftentimes, if you have a nerve that's already irritated, trying to stretch that out is going to be a little bit more uh, provocative and irritating. So I don't usually suggest nerve flossing during the first couple stages of treatment. I would usually say when you're experiencing a little bit longer bouts of pain, when you go past the 12 week window, yes, you might benefit from some nerve flossing, but before you go into that, because it is a pretty provocative activity, go into all the other activities that could be um, influencing it as well. One of the big nerve flossing things that people will do is what we call the Vanna White in, uh, in carpal tunnel syndrome. So um, I think Vanna White, she's from uh, Wheel of Fortune. She might still be on the show, but when it comes to that, she is presenting the letters. And as you can see, I'm opening up my hand, I'm pointing to the letters, and that is actually going to be putting the median nerve on tension. You can add even more tension by extending the wrist and then leaning the head and looking away. We're actually putting the median nerve on tension. And in some cases that can be specifically helpful. And What's going to be important is that whether it be carpal tunnel, sciatica pain, back pain, elbow pain, knee pain, hip pain, there is an endless amount of exercises that are out there, endless amount of stretches, interventions. They're all tools. And I've said this in previous episodes where every single modality, every single exercise that we have available, they are tools. And it is up to you, the listener, the person experiencing pain. Um, if you are going to be doing this yourself, get the tools, but understand which, uh, which tool to use and when. And the best way that you can do it is actually by trying these tools out and seeing how is this actually influencing how I'm feeling? Again, when you're in an active state of pain, it is important for you to focus on ensuring that every action you do is reducing your pain. It's not strengthening. It's not stretching. It's if you do this, what happens to your pain? And so that gives you an opportunity to say, okay, well, I know that bringing my hand out to the side actually makes my pain go down. Do more of that. You don't need to do any more other exercises if you know this one, two, or three exercises is bringing down your pain. If you are working with a provider, chiropractor, physical therapist, uh, fitness professional, doc, anyone, um, they have a very vast toolbox as well. And so it is important, again, when you're in active state of pain, everything that you do, 
everything that your provider does should be focusing on reducing your pain and improving your function. And that is something that I encourage you to do, to focus on, especially as you are recovering from all of this. Um, there is hope for recovery. And I want to take a moment to share with you some of the similarities that you can see in sciatica pain treatment, how it can be applied to a different part of the human body. And so I hope this was helpful. Um, if you like more content like this, I would love for you to reach out to me. You can send me a message at info at ifixyoursciatica.com and send me an email in regards to anything that you would like to hear a little bit more about. I have a lot of really fantastic episodes coming out over the next couple of weeks, and I cannot wait to share them with you. But I would love to hear your feedback and learn a little bit more about the things that you would like, uh, perhaps if I didn't even address them. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.